You are listening to Creating Phenomenal for Your Life, episode number 30, Mind Minimalism. This is Creating Phenomenal for Your Life. I'm your host, Dina George, MD, a lover of learning, a life and weight loss coach, and a family medicine doctor. This podcast is about mindset. What contributes to a life that thrives versus one that is stuck? We'll talk about many things, some related to coaching, some related to health, and some related to your questions, thoughts, and prompts. The ultimate goal of this podcast is to celebrate where we're at and give form to where we're going in our perfectly imperfect journey to a phenomenal life. And give high fives along the way. Thanks for being here. Welcome back. It's episode number 30. That's like 10 times three. (laughs) Multiples of 10, which is exciting and we are just getting started. First, a shout out to Dr. Aaron Wiseman, who hosts a podcast called Dr. Me First, bringing female physicians together to have real conversations. Keywords, bringing people together and real conversations. So I'm thankful to have met her, to have had a conversation with her and be on her podcast, episode number 11, with the theme of acceptance. It'd be a total honor if you checked it out. The Dr. Me First podcast by Dr. Aaron Wiseman. Next, what I'm thinking about. So I went to a medical education session with an optometrist. It was awesome. And learned about how prevalent chronic dry eyes are and how much it affects our eyes both the health of our eyes as well as our vision. So I'm really rethinking how I take care of my eyes and thinking more about adding moisture, avoiding irritation. It's a great wake-up call to see how much I take my eyes for granted. Pun intended. Today our topic is mind minimalism. I haven't seen these words put together yet. It's applying the concepts of a minimalist lifestyle to the mind and managing the mind. It may also be called mind hygiene, maybe mental hygiene, but we are going to refer to it as mind minimalism. So first, let's look at minimalism, the lifestyle of clearing clutter and making room for what is most important, which means removing the material clutter, like the amount of our possessions, but also removing other things that clutter our lives, debt, We can't see our income or the value of our income if we're continually repaying something. So removing debt, taking off that burden, opens up for what we want to look at in the future. The next are distractions. Have you noticed how many things want our attention, demand our attention, pop up and request our attention day and night? And the distraction of having an impossible to-do list. It's hard to focus or achieve anything if we're constantly adding to it, thinking about one more thing. It only serves as a distraction. The next is noise. Removing the noise so that we can hear ourselves, find our voice, determine what's right and true for us, and make decisions from a place of peace, like not being rushed. Here's another one. Busy. We just went through the holidays. Were you busy? Did busy fill your time? And was it fulfilling or was it checking boxes? You'll notice that if we aren't busy, what does that open up? 
So essentially, minimalism is working on changing the environment to be surrounded by that which brings us joy and opens up possibilities, rather than being overwhelmed or stuck or paying back. Here's how our minds are wired. Seek pleasure, avoid pain, constantly scan for threats, and stay safe. Don't take any risks. Mind minimalism has the same constructs. Applied not to our outside world or our external environment, but to our internal environment, the one in our brain. It does require mind shifts or a change in mindset. And we'll go through how. So here are five different elements to think about with mind minimalism. The first is constraining what we think about. Our minds, they like to wander and come up with new ideas, even though we already have so many ideas, we'll never get to them. Want to add more. Oh, here's another good idea. Here's another good idea. We also like to think about problems, some or many of which are not ours to solve. So back when we were in the army, my husband and I used to talk about problems all the time, situations, events, issues, things that we had no power or authority to solve and things that other people didn't want to solve because they weren't solving them. And we came up with some creative ideas, but they didn't go anywhere. And we used a lot of brain power to look at the possibilities, but it didn't change anything. It gave us something to rally around, sure, something to talk about, but it didn't change anything. And I'm not sure that we changed through that exercise. So it became an indulgence, easy to talk about, indulging in how we're right, how things should be different without changing the outcome. So constraining what it is that we're thinking about or focusing our time and attention, being intentional about our thinking and putting the effort in where it's going to make a difference, where it can influence the outcome, where it can change us by stretching our thinking, where it can bring people together and where we're invited in to solve problems or to add input, add value. Rehashing the same problem and regurgitating what we think is the solution ultimately not helpful. In fact, it can breed a sense of entitlement and self-righteousness with thinking that sounds like if they weren't such an idiot, they would have figured it out. Not helpful, right? But our minds, they like to think thoughts that are easy and just regurgitate them. So another area of constraint is limiting what we take in or what we allow in. How often do you participate in two or more stimulating activities at the same time, like study and listen to music? or watch TV and read the newspaper, or maybe study, listen to music, and plan your vacation or answer text messages. You get the ideas. Just multiple areas that we are putting our attention in or allowing information into us. So constraint is setting limits on both our time and what is allowed our attention. So if we're working on a project, And then our mind goes to the grocery list or remembering that it's a friend's birthday or some other distraction. It's constraining that those distractions don't get our attention. And it's automatically having a response for when it comes up. You can choose any response you want. And the goal is that your thinking stays on task. So your response might be, not now brain, we are working on this project. Or it might be keeping a piece of paper next to you and creating a list of what you're going to get back to later, but what is not going to get any of your attention right now. So when you're focusing, everything else has to take a number because this is what you're going to do. Constraining what comes in and constraining what goes out. 
Is that comfortable? Is it comfortable to say no to all the thoughts that come up? For many people, it's not. It's incredibly uncomfortable because the underlying belief is that we have to act on or go any place that our mind wants to go. There's not even a consideration that all of our thoughts are optional. Our brain can be a toddler sometimes, demand attention for whatever it wants, whenever it wants, exactly at that moment. And it can throw a wicked awesome tantrum. That was one of my takeaways from Maine is the use of wicked. (laughs) Know this, you get to choose every time to act or not on your thinking, to listen or not on your thinking, to change what you're doing or not. The important thoughts will come back. They always do. And the others, they're just a distraction because it's easier to stay in a distracted place. So that was number one, constraining our thinking. Number two, clearing out the clutter. Item number one are the instruction manuals. So those ways that other people need to behave for us to be happy, and we've talked about this on two different podcasts, it's clutter. It keeps us fighting. It tries to change other people for us to be comfortable rather than identifying our own discomfort that we created and that we're perpetuating by needing others to be different. There is freedom in getting rid of that clutter. Here's more clutter. The language of some of our ingrained thinking, the language that goes like this, I should have, I can't, it won't ever happen. I'm just that way. I tried it, it didn't work. What do all those phrases have in common? They are powerless. That language is taking up space. It's blocking possibilities and keeping us stuck. And it's like a big pile of rubble in the middle of a road. In fact, it blocks most of the road and we have to continually drive around it or avoid it. Clearing out the rubble. Here's more clutter. Other people's opinions. So there's no doubt that there are people that you trust who influence you. Probably a handful. The relationship is filled with love, trust, admiration, and support. The ones who are really on your team, who are sweating and bleeding with you. Everyone else, they are simply observers with opinions. And it's a bold move to decide that other people's opinions don't matter. It is. That those people don't get a voice or a seat at your table. Because other people have an opinion about your life doesn't make it important to you. You don't have to listen. Next, in talking about clearing out the clutter, is turning the light on to the dark places in our mind and not being scared. The worst that can happen is an emotion. When I think about fill in the blank, I feel fill in the blank. We don't want to go to those places because it brings up our stuff, right? The regret, the anger, frustration, fear. And it's easier to keep the light off and the door sealed, like slammed shut, locked shut. But that's taking up space. And not thinking about it doesn't make it go away. In fact, there's always access to it. It doesn't take much to kind of trigger us, right? Trigger that emotion, trigger that time, relive that place, re-experience those emotions, re-bash ourselves. Turning on the light when you're not in the midst of reliving it, which means it wasn't recently triggered, it provides an opportunity to look at it more objectively and to see if you want to continue to look at it the same way. You probably won't. Because if you're not in the midst of feeling it, you're going to see it differently. Are you ready for this? You can see it with more compassion. 
or more wisdom, no matter what you did, quote, wrong, end quote. And I say it that way because we are always doing the best that we can. And when we look back, there are many things that we could have done better. But that's what we know now, when we didn't know then. Having compassion for surviving, or not repeating, or repairing, or admitting that we were wrong, whatever it is, we can find something to have compassion for when we look at it more objectively. And doing so is going to change the way we remember it from this day forward. That memory, when it comes up, it's going to come up in this new way that we're thinking about it. Back in college, at the end of a semester, I challenged a chemistry professor on a grade, and it didn't go well. I don't remember exactly the conversation or how I approached it. I imagine that there was some entitlement, but it didn't go well. And the response was quick, decisive, and verbally shut down the communication and everything about it. And I processed it for weeks. I felt so much shame. It changed how I viewed the professor. They were no longer an ally. It changed how I viewed myself. Who did I think I was? But now I can look back at this and really have compassion for the young woman who was learning how to fight for herself, who was willing to take a risk and fall, who was trying to see something greater and be something greater. And I can have compassion too for the professor who had no idea the conversation was coming and didn't know how to handle it and essentially shut down. Like the only thing they knew how to do was shut down the conversation. I can turn the light on to that event and I can look at it differently. I can see it through the lens of compassion so that no longer when I think about it, if it comes up, no longer is the trigger to shame. And we can do this with grudges, hurts, should have beens And my favorite, I use this one a lot. It didn't have to be that way. I've got a list of those easily accessible. My mind can go back to it at any moment. Didn't have to be that way. But really it's clutter. It's taking up space. All of this keeps us fixed in time to something that we cannot go back and change. We can only change how we look at it now. That clutter is easy to hold on to. It's comforting. It's familiar. It's the familiar pain that we know. And sometimes we even start to define ourselves by that familiar pain. We can even then soothe ourselves, say things like, the world's against me. They don't see me. They don't understand. But all of this keeps the power outside of us. And it takes space inside our mind. And we focus our energy on protecting the clutter, not accessing it, not moving it, not disrupting it, because we don't want to feel it all over again, right? We don't want to relive it. But consider this instead. We don't need it. We can forgive. We can have compassion. We can stop feeling the hurt and the pain. We can start to let it go. We can accept ourselves and reassure ourselves and pick ourselves back up. And we can own now and not be pinned down to a place that hurt in the past and not hide from that place and not allow ourselves to be driven by the emotions that come up. So far, we've talked about mind minimalism and we've applied it to constraint with where our minds go and clearing out the clutter, which really means taking the power and returning it back to ourselves, taking it away from the clutter and bringing it home to us. Next, number three, intentionally saying yes to what you want, to your why, what is important, who is important. 
and like your reasons for doing so. When my son was a toddler, I only said yes to events that he could attend. If he wasn't welcome, and it was not an army mandatory event, I didn't even consider it. It was total freedom. He's 16 now, and I scrutinize every event. Does it include him? Does it include my husband? And if not, it's got to be incredibly compelling or important to our values. Number four, intentionally saying no. And this is intentionally saying no to the toddler that lives within us. If you're a parent, then there's no doubt that you said this or something like this to your toddler. I know you want ice cream and I want you to have it. First, we're going to eat dinner. Our brains are the same way. I know you want a cookie, but right now we're completing this podcast. (laughs) That's what my brain says. That's the toddler that comes out. So it's intentionally saying no to all the distractions that come up to whatever commitment that we've made. So when we make a commitment to ourselves, we keep that commitment. Our brain is always going to tell us that there's something more important and say, no, that can wait. You can do it later. This is more important. But not doing what we've committed to, it's not an option. Sticking to the plan, that's what builds trust within us. Your mind is never going to want to stick to the plan. The price of building trust with yourself is following through on the commitments that you make 100% of the time and saying no to all the excuses or the demands from the toddler within your mind. It's not easy, but it gets easier. So when it was time to write the framework for the podcast, my mind came up with all kinds of excuses. It's not a good time. Later will be better. What do I know about minimalism? Much less mind minimalism. I I need to go learn. I have to go study. And then generally lots of resistance. Go get a cookie. Go make a grocery list. Anything else that's not going to demand my mind to stretch, grow, or be intentional. And then looking for all kinds of things that would have immediate pleasure, and that's just easier, right? Get the cookie. Take the nap. So intentionally saying no when it comes up and staying on task. Last, number five, not buying into overwhelm. The mind is really good at this one. It presents so many options and what-ifs that we get paralysis of the analysis. So many options, we have to think about it, postpone decisions. We need to make the right one. The right decision is the one you make or the one you make after that when you've learned more. How do you make great decisions? You make a ton of decisions. How do you have great ideas? You have a ton of ideas. There's a quote from Linus Pauling. Do you remember Dr. Linus Pauling? Award winner of the Nobel Prize in Chemistry, 1954. The best way to have good ideas is to have a lot of ideas. And he had a lot of ideas. It's looking at overwhelm as clutter and it accumulates more clutter. The antidote, making decisions and taking action. And it's not comfortable, especially in 2019 when we have access to so much information on any given subject. Easy to indulge and stay in overwhelm. Here are five components of mind minimalism. Constraining what you think about, clearing out the mind clutter and regaining your power, intentionally saying yes, intentionally saying no, and seeing the mind at times as a toddler. And finally, not buying in to overwhelm. What you get in return when you intentionally take on this practice, it's emotional freedom. It's creating deliberate decisions with your time, money, energy, and in your relationships. And that likely is going to bring you a more organized 
schedule, home, less debt, because you need less when you know what you have and you scrutinize your purchases and you're intentional about them. It brings better communication, clearer communication with deeper relationships, less to do. Don't we all want that? Less to do and less decisions to make and more time focused on what's important to you. How about this one? Less worry and less hiding from yourself and hiding from others and less actions to take to try and cope with what's going on. The things that we do like overeating, over drinking alcohol, overworking, over caffeinating, less of that because you have emotional freedom, because you're making deliberate decisions. That is a positive byproduct. As you notice your mind wandering off track, as you sense the pull to move away from something that you agreed to complete, just smile. Know that's normal. Especially in 2019, there's so much out there that's trying to stimulate us, trying to redirect our action, trying to keep us distracted. Acknowledge it. Smile. And then get back to what's important to you. And if it's mind minimalism, those five components are a starting place. They're not all-encompassing. You can make it whatever you want. And that's what will set you free. And in 2019, freedom is the accelerant to your dreams, which is the difference between a good life and a phenomenal one. Happy New Year. It's still early in the year. Everything is possible. So I'm sending you a high five and all my best, and I will see you next time. Take this work even deeper. Sign up for a coaching call with me. We will explore your dreams or obstacles or worry or wherever your mind is taking you that you're ready to make some changes. Email me, dina at georgemdcoaching.com.